0: Though I think you're a success because of the hard work that you well, did. Well, I
1: did put in a lot of hard work too, but. <laughs> and you didn't give up. So many people give up, and you did not give up. And you didn't give up on me, and Cindy didn't give up on me, and lots of people didn't give up on me. And you know, all my guardian angels, and I'm just so grateful
2: this first season of Back of the Chart, we've often talked to physicians who've really been focused on treating a specific condition. A little bump on someone's chest, arresting the progression of renal failure, seizures, preeclampsia. But the truth of the matter is that people and their health are complicated. They don't show up in the clinic as USMLE questions come to life. Rather, doctors see patients with constellations of comorbidities, overlapping and contradictory diseases, symptoms, and life circumstances. These are the patients that keep doctors on their toes and make practicing medicine so exciting. And that's what today's story is all about. We look at care for hepatitis C, HIV, and opiate addiction in the prison system. What does it mean to provide care that treats the patient and not just the disease?
3: Meet Dr. Flanagan. He's an infectious disease physician and a professor of medicine at Brown University. When he's not seeing patients at Miriam Hospital, he's at Rhode Island's adult correctional institutions taking care of patients there. And that's where he met Robert. Robert is no stranger to the prison system. He started using IV drugs when he was 14. For the next 20 years, he boomeranged in and out of correctional facilities in the New England area, serving time for the crime that he used to fuel his IV drug habit. But for the last decade, he's been sober and stayed out of prison. This transformational journey is the subject of our season finale.
2: I'm Viknish Kasturi. And I'm Alex Homer. And this is
3: Back of the Chart.
2: For those of you unfamiliar with these diseases, HIV is a virus that destroys a specific type of T-cells that are really important to making sure the immune system works. You can get HIV from sexual contact or sharing needles with infected individuals. If HIV isn't treated, it can lead to AIDS, which is the most advanced stage of HIV. At this point, so many of those T-cells have been destroyed by the virus that the body is left particularly vulnerable to life-threatening infections and cancers.
3: Hepatitis C is a different virus that affects the liver. If left untreated, it can lead to the breakdown and eventual failure of that organ. Like HIV AIDS, hep C can be transmitted through sexual contact. But in the US, hep C is usually contracted through needle sharing. Robert's lifestyle put him at particular risk for HIV AIDS and hep C. But when Robert contracted those diseases towards the end of the 1980s, treatments weren't available. And even if they were, prisoners weren't likely to receive it. Here's Rob on what it was like to receive a diagnosis of HIV.
1: I was there for two years already. I was in prison for two years. And this girl who I was with before I went to prison died of AIDS. And we did everything together. Um, Any way I can catch AIDS from her, I've done it. Okay? IV and sex. So, she dies. So I decided to get tested. Uh, I get tested and sure enough, I had it. Now, when they did the Western blot test, they called it. Soon as the lady was talking to me, telling me the results, she's like, Bob, I got to tell you something. And soon as she said that, I seen her lips move and honest to God, I was like being in Vietnam or a war zone. A helicopter was landing right on me, like in front of me, getting louder and louder. I don't know if that was my heart making that noise or what, but the helicopter was, uh, that's what it sounded like, okay? Now, this went on for a whole minute. Finally, the noise went away and her voice came back. She was still talking (laughs) and I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry, can you please repeat everything you just said to me? It might've been a
2: fluke. So they did another test and then another more advanced one after that. Both came back positive. A few years later, Rob was diagnosed with hep C and soon thereafter, a young infectious diseases doctor named Timothy Flanagan
0: started working at the state prison. The week before I started work, my boss, Dr. Carpenter, said, Hey, how would you like to do HIV care in the prison? And I was like, Ooh, never really thought about that. Mm-hmm. But it sounded exciting. And I thought, Why not? I think I'll give it a try. And uh, it was hard. The first time going through those doors, claying shut and dealing with the security and the correctional officers is not easy. It's and, daunting.
1: Inmates and with attitudes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some sometimes. Some with, some
0: without. That's right. Exactly. But it was overall very wonderful experience because when you're taking care of somebody and you shake their hand and you look them in the eye and you say, how are you doing? What's going on? And can we help you out? That interaction is really the same within the in jail or in prison as it is outside.
1: I'm sure I had an orange jumpsuit on and I was shackled and handcuffed with a police escort. I'm like a hardened criminal, you know. Um, I'm in my cell doing push-ups all the time. I'm a, I'm a little guy, as you can see. But back then, I was in pretty good shape. And uh, I probably had a bald head. And I probably looked very, very intimidating to her. But you know what? He shook my hand. He introduced himself to me. And uh, and we got along great. And just the way he... T- see, I'll give you respect if you respect me that's how it works in there right away he showed me respect right away i give him respect and we hit it off from day one and i cannot wait for him to come up well you know half the time i was in solitary confinement not half the time i wasn't um i, I would be in a different colored jumpsuit and maybe with just uh shackles on and not handcuffs you know, be, be a little more trustworthy if coming out of general population. <laughs> Today, treating and controlling these infectious diseases
3: is feasible, but it's taken a while to get here. Over the last two decades, Robert has been put on all types of different regimens to try and control his AIDS and hep C. Some have made him unbearably sick. Others have successfully cured hep C. But the cost of these drugs can be exorbitant. And for some time, the prison system refused to pay for these expensive treatments.
1: Uh, When I first met Dr. Flanagan, as a prisoner, they did not want to give us the medications that they give to regular people. It was too expensive to give us, you know, no protease inhibitors that were on the horizon, you know, the different types of uh, inhibitors. Um, So Dr. Flanagan and... His team, uh, Dr. Jordy Rich, and I guess some you guys get some lawyers together, and they took them to court, and now they got to treat us like everybody else. We get the same meds that anybody else gets. And it's only due to these guys. We had to take them to court because they didn't want to pay. Or, you know, when you're an inmate, you're not, you know, you're a second-class citizen, so to speak, you know. Um... Most people deserve to be in that situation. We all put our, most of us put ourselves in there, but you know everybody deserves another chance. I'm just grateful God's given me many chances. <laughs> you know,
0: yeah, we all deserve good health care. You know, people everybody who deserves good health care. Yeah, I mean, we all make mistakes. You know, I doze off at the wheel and I crack up my car, but I still go to the emergency room and they take care of me. I smoke cigarettes and I get lung cancer, and that's a sad thing, but I still get good treatment for my lung cancer. We do not treat people with lung cancer because they smoked. Um, no, we, we. this is part of our human nature. We're all we're all fallen, we all struggle. And people, whether you're in jail or prison, hey, you're absolutely right, Bob. I mean, everyone deserves good, basic health care, and to be treated as a person, which is a beautiful thing. And you're absolutely right. All of us make mistakes and we all deserve a chance. And to be honest, I have a a love and a hate relationship with the pharmaceutical industry. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they have produced the most amazing medications, easy to take um, after a few tries, non-toxic, really extraordinary. But they charge prices that are just highway robbery. Absolutely astronomical. And, you know, these drugs can be made for peanuts.
1: The most important thing is to reach out your hand, introduce yourself, and get to know somebody because uh, these people, they want to help you. If you help somebody else, you help you that's the whole point of it you help somebody else you're helping yourself you know it's, that's how it works and uh, you know if you don't have a car like me you'll get, you may get a ride to a meeting here and there you get yourself a sponsor you feel like using or picking up you call your sponsor instead of a drug dealer you know many different ways of uh, getting your life back together Mm-hmm. and uh, the doctors, for sure, are a major resource.
0: There's a lot of grace, real grace, that's present in AA and NA meetings. I mean, you know, we're all human, so not, I don't want to make it seem like this is, you know, I mean, there' a lot of stuff doesn't work, so nothing's perfect. But it, just what you say, people, people are there, will help you. And by the way, nobody even wants to know your last name and nobody exchanges even a dime. Maybe you put in a quarter for a cup of coffee, and that's it. How many things are there in America where there's no money exchanging hands? Everything we do is money, 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 money. Not the 12 steps, baby. It's yeah, not part free. of that. And again, it's not perfect. I'm not saying everything, nothing's nothing, nothing perfect, but it's all free, and you have to share it. You know, It works if you work it.
1: It works if you work it. You showed me friendship. They don't show you f- friendship in prison. You you're a number, you know, you are a statistic. Uh, and when you came into the prison, you treated me like a human being. And it brings tears to my eyes today because all the years I've known you, you've always been nice to me and had hope for me, no matter what, even during the darkest times of my life. You know, I spent over six years in solitary confinement and he, he was always my doctor. I come out of solitary confinement every few months. Uh, to see him, uh, you know, part of my regular schedule, and I look forward to that, you know. At any rate, it seemed, uh, being a drug addict, and constantly being released back into society in the same position you were when you uh, went in, it's just a matter of time before you go back. Recidivism is so big. But this time, I came to Rhode Island, and I Dr. Flanagan was in Rhode Island with his team And they got me set up before I was released. They prepared me for my release, which is something they didn't do in Massachusetts. And that's why I think that's why I'm a success today. The Suboxone program. It takes a community effort to
2: heal someone. You can't heal a disease without healing the whole person. And you can't heal the whole person without healing disease. Robert is originally from Massachusetts, but now he was in prison in Rhode Island, so Dr. Flanagan was one of his most important resources. This time, instead of being released into the world in exactly the same state as when he left, Robert was started on the Suboxone program. Suboxone is a weaker opioid that takes the edge off the serious cravings that come with opioid withdrawals. Over time, the Suboxone has
1: tapered off until the patient doesn't need it anymore. The thing is, you have to come out with a solid foundation and with a plan. And I came out with a plan. I wasn't going to go back in no matter what. When I got out of prison, they made me stay in Rhode Island because I was on probation. And do you know, my family's from Massachusetts. I couldn't leave Rhode Island. So I had to go to a shelter. I've never been to a shelter. I went to a shelter... They were using drugs in the bathroom. Somebody offered me drugs, just like you said, in the parking lot. Then shelter. I was there two days, and one person actually OD'd. Ambulance came, picked them up. This is all in three days. This is just what I witnessed. And I said, if I can get through this, I did. I did. I had to get through this with a straight mind and with my, you know, my bearings. I had a plan, you know, and. I think it was the next day or something that's when I had an interview for Sunrise House. Sunrise House is a program here in Rhode Island that helps patients with AIDS follow their
3: medication regimen in a substance-free environment. They also help patients find housing and generally readjust to society.
0: It is, it's interesting, you know, in, in the early part of my career, I was a 24-7 AIDS doctor, and our, we didn't have you know, it's hard to think back to those days because our treatments were really so poor. Our treatments have gotten so good now. It's an incredible, amazing thing to witness and be part of, you know, prescribe it, encourage patients, champion it, tell patients their viral load is non-detectable. Your body can't even see the virus. It's not a cure, but it's so suppressed. It's on the virus is on ice that your body literally can't see it. It also means it can't be spread. So that's one way we're approaching ending the epidemic, which is a really encouraging, beautiful thing.
1: Yes, I have to cut you right there because for eight years, I, my whole life, up until two years ago, I, I remained celibate because I, I don't want to give it to nobody. I don't, just, I don't even want to practice safe sex. I really, you know, I just don't want to do that. But now I'm told... I can't even give it to anybody because I'm undetectable. Um, It scares me, and I I can't believe how that can even be possible. But, I mean, now now I can probably get into a relationship, and, you know, that's something to look forward to. I still will have uh, safe sex because me... I don't have to worry so much about the other person. They have to worry about themselves. I got to worry about me. I don't know who their partners were before. I'm already sick. I don't want to get any sicker. So I got to take care of myself. As a sick person, it's so important to take care of yourself as well as looking out for the other person. And one of the reasons why I remain celibate because I was looking out for the other person. And I couldn't live myself if I, you know. So, But just two years ago,
0: I found this out. <laughs> it yeah. still
1: blows my mind away,
0: you know. Bob's correct. It's It's kind of an amazing, kind of amazing thing. I think I've realized that I'm not the director of the play. When I was younger, I had a greater sense that I could change everything. I could go out and be at the forefront and stop this epidemic or make this incredible change. All well-meaning, but a little bit of hubris. As I've gotten older, I realize, hey, wait a second. You're being asked to do the best job that you can right in your office with the person who's right in front of you. And that's good, and that's enough. You're not gonna fix this fallen world. You're here to help one person at a time, one step at a time, and what a great gift that is. If you're dealing with people like me, uh,
1: who have uh, other issues, you gotta take into consideration, am I a recovering addict? Did I just get out of jail? If I did, I probably got an attitude because it's a different world. Now, in order to be a good physician, a good physician knows how to deal with just about anybody and doesn't take anything personal. Like if I was to come see you, it was the first time I met you, and you're is to help me. But I might not act like I might not want help. But why am I here? I need help, you know? There's a reason. But I might act... I might something you say in my tone if you can have if you can have sympathy and understanding and just deal with me and try to deal with me and calm me down it takes a special person to do that and I needed people like that in my life because I know I wasn't easy to deal with I I kept in a lot of things I didn't want to let out they had to pull things from me you know sometimes you got to pull things from people but, you know, it I'm just, I say he's my guardian angel and a couple of others because I'm sure there was times where I may not have treated them nicely because I wasn't having a nice day. But they never took it personally. And if that's just the thing. Don't take anything personally on what we say as your patients. Um, we might be having a bad day and we may be having a good day. I think that's the biggest bit of advice. Don't take it personal.
0: We have some patients that will not take their medications no matter what and will still die of AIDS, which is a terrible, terrible thing. It's terrible suffering, and that's f- so hard to to witness. Uh, we have uh, folks that really um, have a terrible time grappling with their addiction, and we do lose patients to overdose, including patients that leave the prison setting, have not been using. So they go out and they use the exact same amount of dope or heroin or heroin with fentanyl that they might've used before and they die. They stop breathing and die. So they overdose right there. They don't have the tolerance and they, and they overdose. The fentanyl epidemic that we're going through now is just horrendous. It's horrendous and it is totally fatal. It's it's really it's tough. But uh, what helps is to realize that we are here to help walk with our patients, but we don't cure them. Ultimately it's up to the divine physician. And them and grace and 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 that. I mean it's it's ultimately not up to me. I want to be there and help. I want to walk that path. I want to provide the tools that we have whether it's Buprenorphine, HIV treatment, hepatitis C treatment. But Tim Flanagan doesn't do it. The divine physician. The divine physician does it, yeah.
1: And, and that's so important that you mention that. I didn't mention that. In, in uh, Narcotics and say, a, and honest, they teach people of a higher power. And uh, it's just so important to have a higher power. Whoever your higher power is... Um, My higher power just happens to be Jesus Christ. And I believe that he's given me another chance at life. And I am so thrilled about that, that I owe a debt to that man, woman, being (laughs) my God. I owe a debt. And that's... I'm not a holy roller or anything, but I believe in God, and I'll tell you about it, and I hope to lead you to God. But I go to church on Sundays, and that helps me. It helps me. And I'm in his house, and I have to be in his house. If I'm not in his house, I feel weird. And I just, it's my way of saying, thank you. Thank you for giving me another chance. Like, you've given me so many. So many people uh, have passed before me over the past 10, 20 years that should have way outlived me. So I feel I owe a, a debt of gratitude, and that's one of the reasons why I go to his house every Sunday.
0: Listen to your heart. We are made for joy. We're made for love. We're made for joy. And it's hard. It's hard because this is a fallen world, and we are fallen people. You know, we got a lot of wounds and we all struggle with it, but, but listen to
3: your heart. We'd like to thank Dr. Flanagan and Robert for allowing us to share their story. And thank you to our listeners. Next time, wait, it's the season finale. Thank you all for a wonderful season. Back of the Chart will be back next year with more stories from real doctors and real patients.
2: Till then, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to stay up to date on the latest here at the studio we're looking for some more help in getting these incredible stories together. So if you'd be interested, reach out to us at backofthechart at gmail.com. As always, our music is by Blue Dot Sessions and special thanks to faculty and staff at Brown University for making this possible.
3: One last time. I'm Viknesh Kasturi. And I'm Alex Homer. And this is Back of the Chart.